You know, we have so many great guests on the podcast, don't you think? Yes, and you know, today is no exception. And I also know you're going to be sharing in a couple minutes who that guest is going to be. Yes, and I also want to remind everyone that if you like a particular episode here on Thought Row Podcast, don't forget to tell us. Reach out either on our website contact form or social media and drop us a line. And we do our best to share that feedback with our guests that we've had on the show. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn from their experiences in life. Yes, and I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively with their own passions. Angie, now it's time to tell our listeners who our exciting guest is today. Okay, well, today's guest is Isabel Knight, and she helps owners, foundations, and authors increase their impact with brand-building strategies, PR, and she is a senior publicist. You know, I also want to mention that she has worked with some highly recognized celebrities and some world-famous authors, and I mean world-famous. Yes, she has. Speaking of famous, how about one of your famous quotes? Okay. (laughs) Well, here is a quote from a very famous person that I know that we're all going to know, and here is the quote. As a writer, one of the things I've always been interested in doing is actually invading your comfort space, because that's what we're supposed to do, get under your skin and make you react. Do you want to tell us who that quote's from? Oh, yes. His name is Stephen King, a well-known author. (laughs) Yeah, somebody knows him. You know, boy, isn't that a truthful take on what a good writer should try to do and accomplish? I think so. You know, you want to have people, as they're reading your your chapter, to not be able to put it down because it's so compelling and so emotionally riveting emotionally charged in his case yeah very much so yeah and it it makes you think too i suppose good writing should make you think it does and have imagination right Mm -hmm. very much so well good quote angie thanks thanks so okay so let's go on to our interview with isabel knight i know you guys are going to enjoy it isabel welcome to the thought rope podcast Our listeners, and us too, for sure, Mm -hmm. are always interested in finding out how to build our brands. And I have to tell everyone, you are an expert in that area. Yes, so true. Hi, Isabel. Building your brand can be confusing. And I know everyone wants to know how they can achieve results that they're looking for or trying to achieve. And I'm sure everyone will have a takeaway from this conversation today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. You're so welcome. Well, before we start the interview, we always ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have for breakfast, Isabel? Uh, what did I have for breakfast? I had, it's, it feels like I a long time ago. I know it's a few hours ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had an oat milk latte and a bagel. That's really healthy. Yeah, for actually. sure. And I love the well, bagel. Yeah. Well, sort of. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm an I'm an oat milk convert for sure. Wonderful. 
Well, that sounds highly nutritious. Yeah. So, <laughs> Isabel, why don't you tell us where you're originally from and, and maybe where you're currently living now? So I was born and raised in a city in the north of England, UK, called Leeds. Um, and I now live with my family in southeast London. Okay. Well, so you're in the city. You are definitely in the city. Yeah, I'm definitely a city girl. Yeah. Well, when you were growing up, you must have some interesting childhood memories from Leeds. Leeds, yeah. yeah. Anything you have to share there? Um, so a childhood memory that I was going to share is, so it's actually not in Leeds. Um, it's actually from France. Um, so my mother is French. Oh, okay. Um, so I grew up spending all of my school holidays pretty much in France with my family over there. Um, and so one memory that I have, so we, we would go to the South of France generally for our holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, I once remember going to the fair. Now in France, you get amazing fairs that happen in the evenings um, where the kind of, especially coastal towns and things sort of come to life. And there's lots of, and it's very family oriented. It's not, it's not so much about just, you know, for grown-ups sort of evening entertainment. It's very, it's expected that you would take your children out as well because the evenings are warm um, and it's, and it's all kind of a bit buzzy and nice atmosphere. And of course it's cooler. So it, you know, it gets very hot there in the day, mm-hmm. but it gets cooler in the evening so people can go out with their kids. Um, and we once were in one of these fairs and we saw um, a performer and this, and I'm showing the memory because it's, it's kind of relevant to, to, sort of my my life and inspirations both professionally and creatively yes. um and there was we saw a performer who and it was a lady who was dressed up like a kind of mechanical doll you know um you get ballerina boxes music boxes yeah um yeah. where the, the little doll kind of turns around and it's a wind-up thing so she was dressed up as one of these wind-up dolls so essentially it was a human wind-up doll and she danced in that mechanical fashion and I'd never seen anything like this before and it was super fascinating um and then afterwards the, the other part of it I remember is that she actually signed um a little postcard for everybody so that was the first time that I felt like I'd met a celebrity performer and she'd given me her autograph so that was uh-huh, what a great what story a sweet memory oh my goodness I could see oh. that being really uh charming as a child seeing this Plus, your eyes would be wide open watching Mm -hmm. her. Oh, definitely. And you could relate to her having dolls, et cetera. Oh, yeah. A living doll. A living doll. That's a a living doll. That's such a sweet memory, Isabel. Thank you for sharing it. Okay, so now um, I think we're going to fast forward to um, today. And we know that you have a background as a successful publicist for over 20 years. Um, first of all, tell us what a publicist is and does. So a publicist is somebody who proactively um, essentially disseminates information um, to the media. Uh, so a publicist typically works in the creative industries and entertainment um, because these are the industries that are, are sort of on 
that proactive kind of machine to get mm-hmm. messages out there to their audience um, via the media. And I, I, I read something recently that says um, that, that described publicity as kind of infotainment. And if and you know if if that was a real word, you, you could you could argue that that's essentially what it is. It's giving information mm-hmm. to the public via the media. Um, that is in some way going to also be entertaining or engaging or compelling. So it it sets itself apart from advertising in that sense. Um, that it's not it's not the same as as selling something per se. You're not uh, you're not creating advertising or marketing mm-hmm. where you're directly selling a product, but you're talking about either a product or you know or t- I mean typically you know we, we use it in the entertainment world so in the film music tv um, books um, anything like that where we can really kind of create an engaging conversation around the thing that we're trying to draw people's attention to so that's so the job of the publicist is to make that happen essentially that sounds exciting in uh, yeah. the infotainment is actually a word that bounces around the United States fairly often and do you mind telling us who some of the people that you've worked with? Yeah, so I started my career in music um, and in the in the jazz and world music world um, in London. So I worked for the company that used to produce the London Jazz Festival. Um, and at the time, so this is 20 years ago now, at the time it was that was a really big deal in London. It's it's kind of morphed and changed over the years but um it was a very it was a huge occasion where artists from all over the world would come to the london jazz festival so one of the very first famous people i ever got to meet um was at the at the london jazz festival and it was actually eric clapton and um you know the kind of don't get much bigger bigger names than that um and he'd come over to see um a very very famous jazz trumpeter called Winton Marsalis. Oh, yes, yes. we know who he is. Yeah, yeah, he plays with the Lincoln Centre Jazz Orchestra. Um, yep. And they, they'd come over to do a gig as part of the London Jazz Festival. Um, so I worked in music for a couple of years, and from there I went into film. Um, so I've worked on huge movies, um, movies like uh like harry potter um disney movies um the kind of big pixar movies back in the day so i've worked on kids films and grown-ups films tarantino films um and then more recently working in tv production Mm -hmm. um so most recently i've worked on the um jk rowling's strike series of novels which is her uh, detective fiction series oh, sure. that was yeah that was adapted for BBC TV. So I worked with the production company um, that essentially turned those books into TV programs. So that's um, so I kind of went from music into film and then into TV. In so that order. when you were working with a production company turning those in those books into TV programming, what exactly was your what was your position? What did you do? So I had to be on set quite a lot, which was obviously great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and to work with the actors to, well, one one of the big roles of the publicity, we call it unit publicity because you work with the production unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the unit publicist has to produce 
what will essentially become the kind of basic notes about the film that you will that will then be distributed to the press um, afterwards, so that journalists can talk about and write about the movie. Um, so fairly often, you will actually interview the actors about about the movie or the TV show. Um, so you'll you'll get to know the actors um, fairly well in most cases. Um, and the director and the producer and the executive producers. Um, so you kind of have to be across the show in terms of what's happening in the show, who's in the show, what all their roles are, um, and be able to kind of put together concise notes about about mm-hmm. the show, um, interviewing everybody. And and also the other part of that job is to, is to give kind of exclusive to certain media outlets. So say the big, big film magazines and that kind of thing would take a journalist on set to see people and get the kind of first scoop about the movie or the show. Um, So that's another part of the job. So yeah, it's a, it's an exciting, it's an exciting job. And, you know, it's, it's quite, uh, as you can imagine, it's quite sought after amongst publicists. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. That's the upper level of publicity. You know, when you work with all these creative people and you get to know them, pretty intimately because you're having conversations yeah. with them and they're telling you their thoughts and their ideas. And mm. was there anything in common when it came, when it comes to how they wanted to promote themselves? I mean, what were they projecting to you? So, I mean, a couple of projects come to mind here. Um, I don't know if you guys would know a TV series called Mrs. Wilson. Um, so Ruth Wilson, the actor, mm-hmm. um, who was she did his dark materials here recently? I don't know if you'd know that. And the affair, um, the TV show was quite that was also um, based in the US. But she, um, I worked on the TV show that was based on her grandmother's own memoir. Um, so that was a really interesting project because it was about her own family, and it was a case of working with her to make sure that the family was presented in the right way, as well as her own brand, as well as, the, as well as the show. So quite often you're working, you're keeping in mind lots of different people's, um, you know, first of all, the agenda of, of the people making the thing that whose responsibility is to make success of it, mm-hmm. but also how the people involved are represented and often how the stories are also represented. Um, so, of course, in the case of the J.K. Rowling strike series, you know, we're dealing with uh, the the very huge brand of the create of the original creator, plus you know the brands of the production people, the the series itself. So you're often working across uh, kind of you know many considerations as a publicist. That's a kind of exciting. That's a lot of coordination. That sounds um, like you're juggling a lot of different. Uh, Juggling balls. Yeah, I think you've, yeah. you've, you've been actually answering some of this, mm-hmm. but you refer to yourself as a PR branding strategist. Um, when you're working mm-hmm. with these people, are they looking to you to come up with strategies how they can uh, promote themselves or become more, uh, have more notoriety or highly recognized? I mean, some of these brands, I mean, they're known all over the world yeah. virtually by everybody. Is there anything yeah. that you can do or have you discovered along the way of how you can increase the uh, awareness of their brand? Yeah, well, it, at that at that level, when you're working with hugely well-known global brands, uh, often what you're doing is is you're managing the brand um, as much as you are 
trying to kind of further further promote it. So it's a case of of yeah, the, the, and this is where the strategy kind of really becomes very important because you're you're managing which media outlets you're working with, who who is going to get the story essentially, because and how are they going to present it, and is it going to be presented in the right way? These are the questions that you have to ask. Um, and as a publicist, you're you're kind of trained to to to, to know. You know, your job mm-hmm. is to know how each particular media outlet or or section of the media is going to portray something and whether it's going to be right um for your client essentially um so when i'm when i'm working now with with business owners and people who are creating brands and building brands often it's it's asking the same questions essentially it's asking well how do you want to be presented and where is going to be the best place for you to present yourself in order to reach the people you want to reach in the way you want to reach them. So it's asking those same questions and being strategic in the same way, even if, you know, the, the, the kind of stakes, you know, the stakes might not be so high in the, in the sense of, uh, you know, it's different, obviously working with someone who already has a massive brand and you, you want to, to carefully manage that brand Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't get either get out of control or it doesn't you know it doesn't lose any credibility but when you're starting out building a building a brand essentially from scratch you're trying to build you know you're building that credibility in with those same questions in mind if that makes sense no, no, actually it, it does. And, sense, I, yeah. and I it, I'm curious about the fact that you have to work with so many media outlets. Um, mm. Do they uh, wine and dine you? Or are they always saying, hey, you need to be our best friend because we want to get the story <laughs> first? Um, there is there's some of that for sure. Um, there's very much with publicists and journalists. It's a really interesting relationship, as you can imagine. Um, sometimes you you know sometimes they want something from you sometimes you want something from them um and quite often there's a negotiate you know there are negotiations um there you know there can be quite heavy negotiations sometimes if you have for example you know two big magazines that both want the same story um and sometimes there has to be some bartering and it's lit- it can be a little bit of a power play um but generally speaking, you know, both sides, you know, they work together. The publicists and the journalists work together because, you know, at the end of the day, we're 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 helping each other, and in many respects, we often want the same. The yeah, same for sure. You equally goal. want you equally want the same outcome, right? Because yeah. they need the content yeah. uh, for their yes. outlet, and the, you need to get the content out. So it. It's yeah. symbiotic, yeah. really. Well, plus, they're relating on Isabel to help them build that content. Absolutely. Which yeah. takes a little pressure off of them. Yeah. Yes. You need a topic. Yeah, yeah you, need you need a topic. A topic. <laughs> <laughs> and you need the inside story, too, it's right? true. And you're only going to get yeah. that inside story from Isabel because she's the one who's directly in contact exactly. with the talent. Exactly. Yes. Uh, how very interesting. So, okay, yeah. Isabel, is, what is the difference between... PR, which is public relations, and then being a publicist, which which is what you were talking about, is that the same? So, I mean, it, there there is a difference, and it it probably sounds quite subtle, but with PR, your P, PR is literally, you know, public relations. You're literally managing the relationship between you and your customer, your or your audience. Okay. 
Um, so that can encompass lots of things outside of simply outside of media relations. So PR, you know, can be everything from, you know, how, how you present in your marketing, in your advertising, in your social media, um, what it, literally what your image is and how you're presenting that to the world. Whereas publicity, a publicist is much more, you know, is, is as I said before, pr- proactively engaging the media, mm-hmm. um, often in a more, in a more involved way so they are they are slightly different but people tend to you know people tend to interchange the two terms so it all it all starts to become a big blur of one um and often you know people use pr now for for so many to describe so many things I including think marketing yeah we've been introduced yeah. when we do marketing we've been introduced as people that people, do their pr yeah and that's not right true. that's right we don't, we don't think of ourselves as pr uh, no. agents no, no. And, you know, because I've been in PR now for, for a long time, yes. um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen it all as, as it kind of evolves and, and grows. And yeah, sure. You know, the, the definitions for sure of PR and marketing have become so kind of conflated and, mm-hmm. and confused. You know, you've and been quoted, so. you've been quoted as saying PR is one of the best ways to create credibility. Uh, tell uh, us about that. Um, so that is essentially what, I mean, what, what I say to, to my clients, anybody who does my courses and, and works with me, PR creates credibility because what, what's it, what it's essentially doing is giving you an endorsement from a third party. What sets PR apart from marketing and advertising is that you don't pay for PR. So you're not, it's not simply an exchange of money for, for, you know, in the industry, we call it above the line and below the line. So above the line marketing and advertising is essentially you're paying to use somebody's platform or somebody's space to uh, promote yourself. And, you know, similarly, in, in terms of social media, that's, you know, that's the the way we all promote ourselves now. You're essentially borrowing somebody's platform or space to promote yourself, but you're not being endorsed by somebody else. With PR, you're you're creating a relationship that then leads to an endorsement so if a journalist prints something about you and your brand in their newspaper they're doing that essentially because you know we talk talk about earned coverage so you've they believe in you enough to print something about you to to, you know to talk about you so that's it Essentially, what we mean by credibility is if you are getting endorsement from a third party, um, it's, you know, it, it's so much more powerful than if we're simply using a platform to talk about ourselves or our brands or paying for, for, for the privilege of doing that. Yeah, and it's your job to uh, create the story around that person that is interesting enough to where the media says, oh, yes, we should write something about this person or say something about them. That, that I suspect, oh, yeah. can be kind of tricky sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's always about looking for the, for the story, you know, what is going to be interesting. Because at the end of the day, for somebody to write about, about you or your brand, it has to be interesting enough um, to to make them do that so it's looking for the story um which is why everyone that works with me gets the the brand story treatment because before we can decide uh you know well 
before we can strategize and say, okay, this is, you know, you're going to PR yourself by going to this magazine or, you know, using this platform. We have to decide, first of all, well, what is your story? Why, why are people going to care about you and your brand? And that's, that's the very first question that I ask my clients to, to think about is why would somebody else care about it? You know, what's the, what's the compelling story that's going to draw them in? So that, that's really interesting because I know a lot of creative people listen to our show and they're always, you know, trying to figure out how to do, because not everyone has the benefit of having a publicist in their lives. And so it's very interesting when you say that to me, because you have to make yourself newsworthy as a creative and to get the word out. Do you have, you know, something going on with your a gallery or are you doing something really interesting painting wise or singing wise or, you know, whatever, whatever your creativity is. So it's kind of like it, it made a gel in my head of. Tell a story, tell a story, tell a story about yourself. Yeah. yeah too many yeah. times it's just a press release. The press releases who, and what, when, like, where and why. But then everybody goes, cares. so what? Yeah, yeah. Nobody goes, so what? Mm-hmm. You hear, they hear the yeah. same thing over and over. Right on. That's right. That's right. We, you know, which is, you know, I get loads of creative people, you know, whether they're authors or, uh, you know, artists, people that have created something and, and they want they want the thing they've created mm-hmm. to to speak for itself, to, you know, to, to sell itself, basically. Right. But it nothing sells itself. A piece of art won't sell itself it's the story behind the piece of art that is going to compel people that is going to sell it i hope hope everyone listen to that very carefully it makes it so much more and artists are worse when it comes to if they don't like my art too bad they need to see every the story is in the art right but i mean after all well there's so much emotional capital you put into your creativity and then all of a sudden you think everybody else is going to understand it and it's going to be great but Sometimes not. Well, what makes Van Gogh yeah. interesting? It's Van his Gogh. life story. Van yeah, Gogh. yeah mm. it's a story. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. You know what? What's the what's the one thing that any anybody who people who don't know anything about art? What's the one thing they remember about Van Gogh that he cut his ear off and yeah. sent it to his lover? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Which I thought was a because good it's a, because it's a great yeah it's a great story <laughs> right yeah. Don't send me your ear. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. All right. Um, you know, we were talking about different careers and things like that. Um, and I am curious, how many different careers have you had or occupations before you became a full service PR expert? Was this a career that you always wanted to do or what, how was the series of events for you? I mean, in the, sh- the, the kind of short answer to that is really boring in that I've basically <laughs> had one career my entire working life. But the long answer to that is that I've, you know, I've worked for loads of different, loads of different companies, loads of different projects. And I've gone through, let's, we could call it four industries by now, because, you know, I've gone from music to film to TV to books but I've w- always worked in communications. And I, when I was a, um, as a child, I wanted to be an author and that's, that's still on the to-do list by the way. Um, Good. and then when I was a bit older, 
I, I wanted to work in, in PR. I didn't know what it was, but we had a TV show here called Absolutely Fabulous in the oh, 1990s. Yeah. Oh, I we, love we that love, show. Love that oh, show. my gosh. Yeah, with Jennifer Saunders. Yes, love I it. love and, uh, that show. It's extremely popular. Extremely popular. Yeah. And I love the fact so that I w- they'd come to, yeah. they'd come to uh, New York just for a weekend. Anyway, I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> um, so I was a teenager when, like, when that show was super popular, and I was probably like fifteen, sixteen, and um, and I and I thought, wow, that looks so glamorous, and I had a vague idea that they were doing something with famous people and magazines. Um, and you know, I already knew I loved writing and I loved stories, and I w- went off to do English literature at university. And after that, and I thought about becoming a journalist, but then I thought, actually, uh, you know, I just want to go at the, at the time, as a, you know, as a, as a young student, I just want to go and have fun, meet famous people, go to parties, have a good time um, and, you know, get into the creative industries, not really knowing what PR and publicity was at that point. So my very first kind of jobs out of university were in marketing and I got a position as a marketing assistant at the music company that, that used to produce the, the London Jazz Festival and the World Music Awards in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an amazing, you know, first job at, um, as a graduate. And that's what launched me into into that whole world. So I went from very quickly from marketing into publicity. Wow. And that's wow. where it all started. You know, our listeners, our listeners want to learn from your expertise. And can you share with us just one strategy? And I think you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but the one strategy people can use to build their personal brand. So the one strategy is to get to grips with your story, with the why do you do what you do, whether whether you're an artist, a musician, a writer, whether you have um a business, you're an entrepreneur, what has led you to do the thing you're doing? What's the inspiration? We want we want to hear, we want the emotional inspiration behind it. What's the story? How did you get to be where you are? Figure that out and everything else will build from there. That Perfect. makes sense. I yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, I, I forgot to ask you because um, I know we talked about on our initial conversation with your phone call, you had mentioned you have a singing career. I know this is kind of an off take from what uh, Rod was talking about, but I would like to know about your singing career. So, yeah, as well as well as wanting to be a writer when I was young, I also wanted to be a performer um, an actor or a singer, but so I did. I did quite a lot of acting um, as a young person, and then as a teenager, I was in an opera company called Leeds Youth Opera. Um, so I, I'd, I'd sung all my life, um, but then started to take it more seriously um, in my teens. And we did fully staged operas. I was in a production and and a production of Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim mm-hmm. um, when I was 16 and then, and I had singing lessons. And from there I went um, on to sing in choirs. So I sing with big London choirs and I'm a classical soprano soloist. And I sang with the um, London symphony chorus. And I even auditioned once to be in uh, English national opera. Um, so I kind of fl- flirted with, with singing at a serious level, but I still, but I still sing. 
Um, and yeah, it's my, it's my kind of big passion and outlet. See, that's um, really that's, wonderful that's, that, yeah. that you're able to express yourself musically that way. I think that's a really important Aside from your, your publicity and PR. Well, it's a, a total do. enjoyment, right? Yes. Self, and it's all for you. It's all for you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although so I important. suppose you could start a public relations program for your singing. That's true. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, that's and then true. Uh, unfortunately it'll wreck it because then it won't be as precious to you. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to kind of keep something sacred. Yeah. That's so true. So um, let's see here. I wanted to know. Um, oh, I know we were going to talk about the exposure about creative people uh, always needing exposure. And I think that it's, it's, it's especially true of artists and book authors. What simple and practical things can they do to create the exposure that they want? I know you touched on a little bit earlier. So with book authors in particular, it's, mm -hmm. again, it, it, it always starts with the story behind it. So rather than using the book itself, what's the story behind the book? Um, and then it's, I mean, I'm, so I'm running a, a course for authors right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working on this with, with the people in that group. It's figuring out where, where your ideal reader is so where do they hang out what social media platforms are they actually on so the people that you think are going to want to read your book who you know when you when you wrote it who did you imagine it was for um then figuring out what, what networks they're hanging out in what media they're consuming what podcasts they listen to um what blogs they read all that kind of thing work that out and then Figure, from your story, mm -hmm. figuring out the messages that you're going to share. And one big thing for, I mean, and this goes for all, all creatives and authors, is figuring out your, your timing and how much time you need to give yourself to get the information out to your audience. And if, you're, if you are working with media and you are working with the press, is making sure that you give yourself enough time for example to have a magazine article written or somebody on a newspaper to review your book for example mm -hmm. um, because one one thing that loads and loads of authors do is they they wait until the very moment that their book is out before they start to actually tell people about it oh so you should preheat um, in preheat yeah. yes. the oven here yes okay yeah you know yeah. i'm glad you shared that because we yeah, have a lot of our listeners are authors writers yeah. And, um, and it was interesting to find out about your course. So when we do our our show notes and stuff, we'll put that in yeah, the, we'll so people can it. learn more about that. Great. Thank you. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, you've been sharing, we've talked about this, and I'm still pretty fascinated about stories because I'm always trying mm. to craft mine. And everybody mm. I know in the creative world is trying to craft their story. Is there, yes. is there any any tip that you could give on how people uh, should craft their story and maybe how they should share their story, like through social media or what have you. Yeah. So to craft it, um, it, it, you know, I'll caveat this by saying it's very difficult to hear your own story as an, uh, as an objective listener, because we're all so close to our own stories, mm -hmm. but it's being, being really honest with your 
yourself and sit, you know, sit down in a room and don't think of it as right. I've got to write my story because this is a marketing exercise and, you know, the world is going to see it. If you approach it like that, you'll, you'll never be able to do it. So approach it from the point of view of I'm literally just going to write the story of how I came to be here today doing what I'm doing. And so when I do this, these sessions with people, that's literally what I say to them. I say, tell me the story of how you came to be here right now, doing what you're doing, writing the books you're writing, running the business you're running, producing the, the work that you're producing. And and I often say to people, start, you know, start as, as early as you like. It can go way back to childhood or you can start somewhere in the middle. But what we what we want to do is find the patterns and the themes. So, you know, most 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 people, you know, we've all done a kind of, uh, you know, an assortment of things in our lives. And we have, you know, different different passions and different interests, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But what are the patterns and themes that start to emerge? So, for example, somebody could be writing a book, um, could be writing children's books. And actually that passion comes from they really they're really passionate about helping children read and giving them that focus and that engagement to help them to read because nobody gave that to them when they were children. So it's become a real passion for them Mm -hmm. in their lives to enable that. So it's it's always looking for, well, you know, where where did this passion and this motivation come from and asking yourself that and either speak it out loud and record yourself saying it or just scribble it out on a piece of paper initially. Because the moment you start thinking, yeah, the moment you start thinking, this is, you know, I've got to write something that's polished and finished and because everyone else is going to read it, is when we start to self-edit. And when we self-edit, we miss out all the good stuff. We, we take out all the stuff that you think, you think, oh, it's, that's irrelevant. And it, all the irrelevant stuff is nearly always the most interesting stuff. Yeah, for sure. For people. Yeah. I like that advice, though, that's that you're absolutely advice. right. You do self-edit and you're like, oh, nobody's going to want to hear that. Well, especially if it's kind of something personal. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. things are, I mean, not too deeply personal. Right. But it's the personal things that make you human and make you interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then, you know, and and when it's really personal stuff that you never want to share with anyone, that's okay. You don't, the beauty of this is you get to decide which bits you share and which bits you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely. never it's never about making yourself feel uncomfortable and putting things, for example, on social media that you don't really want people to see, mm-hmm. but you think you ought to because people have to get to know you. It's about deciding which pieces, which illustrations you're going to use to make your point. Well, for some, social media has become a uh, confessional. <laughs> yeah, for some yeah. people. Yeah, that's true. And nauseam. Yeah. yeah, but sometimes <laughs> I, I think it's the way that people present it. I think if you... You know, you go like Isabel's saying, if you make it more human and more about yourself and personal, it's great. But if you're just going on there to rant, I don't think that's okay. To testify. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Truth. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. Well, Isabel, you've been living an exciting and creative life, not I'll only say. with the people mm. you've worked with, but your own career as a singer. Is there any advice you would give to people that want to be more successful in general? Um, gosh, that's a big one. I, th- I mean, for, you know, for me personally, it, it's always about, fo- you know, follow, following your interests and being honest about what that is. What do, what do you enjoy doing? Um, and, you know, I, I've always 
enjoyed working with people for example you know working with other people is really really key for me I'm not I'm not somebody who who likes to to sit and work in isolation for example Mm -hmm. so you know thinking thinking about what are the things you actually enjoy doing okay that's a good and and following that that's very good advice you know we didn't touch on this but I know you also are a speaker you want to share with us a little bit about what that is all about so I uh, do speaking um, in organizations and with groups, and obviously that's mo- mostly been online for the last couple of years. Um, but I speak with, with various groups of people. So, for example, I spoke with um, musicians last year. This year I've been asked to speak to theatre directors um, about how to uh, go about promoting them, their brands um, and start thinking of themselves as brands. So that's generally what I'm doing um, in in terms of speaking. Um, so, yeah, speaking with var- various different groups of people, um, creative and business people. Oh, perfect. That's great. So what were you going to say, Angie? Well, you know, I was curious what number one mistake people make when trying to promote themselves on social media that you've seen. The number one mistake I think people do when they try to promote themselves on social media is the first thing they do mm-hmm. is go and look at what everybody else in their genre or in their field is doing and then decide, you know, and then decide what they're going to do based on that. So whether they they think they go and look at everyone and think, oh, well, she's doing that and she said this and he said that. So I've got to do something similar. Right. And that's the absolute worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is to ignore is to ignore what everyone else in your genre or in your field is doing and begin with what what you want to do, what's true for you, what you know, based again on your own story and create your messaging from there rather than feeling like you have to do it the same way as everyone else. Yeah, for sure. That's really good advice. You know, Brian, yeah. I'm going to jump into this real quick. Brands and businesses, become, how, how, how difficult has it <laughs> been? Because I know you've had some experiences this year, yourself, Isabel, in the current environment, you know, with COVID, and it's affected virtually everybody all over the world. How have businesses and brands managed to navigate through that? Well, I think, I mean, obviously it's been hugely pressured time for everyone and, you know, for myself, for my, for my own work, my own business, I've taken everything online, um, and feel really fortunate that I've been able to do that. Um, and, you know, and many, many businesses have done the same thing, you know, people that can, can work remotely and can work online and can see clients online. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's just created this enormous pressure now that everybody feels that they have to have a very, very prolific social media presence and online presence. And I think when people are thrown in at the deep end like that, in a kind of, you know, dog eat dog social media, you've got, you've got to have a big social media presence or die. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's hugely pressured for people um so yeah i think you know it's the kind of the the new age almost that that the you know the pandemic has kind of forced us all into of having to navigate and negotiate this this online marketing world um and it's yeah you know i think i think it's difficult i can see how it would have a lot of impact on you because we know you as being a very social person a very articulate person 
and you like being around people and, and you know you're it's on such sets a change, or yeah. you're sitting down talking to authors or strategizing with people one-on-one or in groups and now all of a sudden you're doing all of this online mm-hmm. yeah no it has it's, it's been a big change for me and, and now i'm i'm now starting to find ways where i can bring things back into the room you know back into into real life because um, that's definitely something that's that's changed hugely for me. Because as, as soon as the pandemic, as soon as we went into lockdown in the UK mm-hmm. in March 2020, all the film sets shut down immediately, sure. um, and they came. They had to come back very cautiously, so that you know suddenly there there wasn't room for to have hundreds of people on set anymore. So that had, that did have to change, um, and doing things like Q and As you know, with, with actors and directors, all of that was online. So yeah, for, for everyone, it was a massive change. So now, you know, for me, like I said, I, you know, I, I do like working with people and that's a big reason why I went into the career I did, um, to, you know, to be interacting with people. So that's, that's something I'm looking forward to now is finding more ways of, of doing, of, you know, kind of face-to-face interaction again. Well, it mm-hmm. certainly is impacting G&I. In fact, we were actually talking about it this morning, yeah, how we, we don't have any f- physical contact with other people. We're not going out to yeah, not as, dinner not like we or used doing to. Not yeah, anything social change. anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the social thing we're kind of doing. It's worldwide. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's one great thing about, obviously, singing in choirs. We are, manage- we are managing to do that, um, which is brilliant. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Definitely. I think we're going to have to start wrapping up the show. But um, before we go, I want to ask you the question we ask all the guests, which is if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Um, I probably I've got a couple of people. I think Jane Austen would be one of them. Okay. Um, (laughs) As as a as a lifelong fan. of of her novels and and that's probably one of the reasons you know I think reading her novels when I was really young was probably one of the big reasons that I got so into stories and and studying English literature um and then probably someone else like Audrey Hepburn I think would would be would be a oh, fascinating yeah. one yeah for the for the glamour yeah I could, I could see that that those two match perfectly for you and I could see that for you. Yeah, per- perfect answer. <laughs> yes. So as Angie mentioned, we kind of have to wrap this up, but Isabel, both Angie and I greatly appreciate your yes. candidness in sharing your PR and branding expertise. I know I learned a lot. I think you learned a lot, Angie. I did. And I know our listeners are going to learn a lot, but I have to say I was especially excited to learn about your singing career. I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really know much mm. about that. And uh, and I appreciate you sharing how you got into it and all the different opportunities you've had as a singer. Kind of cool. Thank you very much. Well, uh, Isabel, thank you so much for sharing your experiences in life and in business. And now comes the time I let everyone know that if you'd like to know more about Isabel, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her And please connect with her on social media. And like we said earlier, we will put the links for her website so you can check out her programs. So thank you, Isabel, for being with us. And thank you for all the information you shared. It was fabulous. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. It was great. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. 
We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, and all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. <laughs>